uh, for right now, I'm going to do kind of a little bit of a mini-series and talk about the topic of worship. And, um, you know, worship, I think, uh, depending on your background or where you're coming from, uh, has many different ideas that might come to mind or, uh, or thinking. And we want to kind of get biblical with this and just see what the Bible has to say as we consider worship. And um, so in, uh, in John chapter 4, interesting interaction. This is Jesus meeting with the woman at the well there. And look at uh, uh, verse number 20, John chapter 4, verse 20. Jesus is talking to this woman and she says, uh, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And uh, ye say that in Jerusalem is the place men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he, uh, uh, when he is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I am that speaketh unto... Uh, I, excuse me, that speaketh unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then uh, left her water pot and went her way to the city, and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And uh, so we have this interesting interaction, and we're going to kind of zero in a little bit on uh, what they had talked about, and I want to kind of uh, sort of give an overview tonight on what is worship. And so let's uh, have a word word of prayer and ask God's help tonight. Lord, we do thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you for those that have come out. I pray, Lord, that uh, that you'd bless us for our time in the Word tonight, that uh, we'd be encouraged, that we would draw closer to you in this matter of worship, and that you'd uh, help us uh, tonight grow in this area. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. No doubt a familiar uh, passage, and many times we focus, when we talk about the woman at the well, we focus on, on um, the fact that Jesus was calling out her sin, or, or when uh, you know, he says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water, and I'd give you living water, you'd never thirst again, and, and uh, she says, give me this water, and they begin to have this little discourse. Now, this, get, this brings us into the mindset of what the Samaritans thought of worship, and what the Jews thought of worship, and how Jesus was going to kind of change all that. So uh, the Samaritans, they, they were, uh, she was saying, well, our fathers worshipped, past tense, this was a tradition thing that was taking place, they worshipped uh, here in this mountain. And the Jews say, well, only real worship can take place in Jerusalem. And, uh, and so uh, I notice what he says there in verse number 22, and I think this is where most people are today. You worship, you know not what. A lot of people, I think, get stuck in that. We, you worship, you know not what. And we live, of course, in a day and age where I think the biggest thing that is worship today is self. Uh, we, we establish ourselves, we put ourselves up as stand, uh, the standard, and that becomes our, our focus, and that becomes where our attention is drawn. And, and I just want to say this, as we, uh, by way of introduction, when we talk about worship, worship is not necessarily a singular thing. Worship isn't music. 
Worship isn't singing. Worship isn't uh, necessarily uh, giving. Worship isn't showing up to church. Uh, you know, and, and it, could be, it could include those things, and uh, many times it does. But when we try to kind of pinpoint it with the activities we do, sometimes we kind of give ourselves a pass. I've worshipped because I sung a song today. I've worshipped because I participated in the church service today. And really, worship, as we come back, is really an issue between you and God. And so, so what does Jesus say to this woman? He, say, he talks about at this point, of course, uh, the Old Testament, really building up to this point, salvation was of the Jews. If someone were to have a right relationship with God, they'd come through Israel. And, uh, and that, that, that was uh, that, uh, um, uh, a part of God's plan. He had it laid out that if a Gentile or a stranger comes in, uh, they basically become a proselyte Jew. And uh, that, was a, that was a part of it. And so, so he comes and he tells them salvation is of the Jews. But then he says, but the time comes and now is, the hour cometh and now is, that the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, what was Jesus contrasting there? What, what did they just talk about that he was kind of correcting? Anybody remember already what we were just talking about? <laughs> Sorry, you weren't ready for a pop quiz yet, were you? What, what, what were they just talking about? She said, we worship in the mountain and you down in Jerusalem. What is Jesus contrasting? Worship's not a place. Worship is not in a place, and this is something I think we need to be very careful with as well. You know, I think, I think sometimes we get caught up in maybe a nice building or, or what we traditionally might even call church. Uh, I think of the, um, the superstitious aspect of a church building that, that for example, the Catholics have. When they, whenever they go by a Catholic church, just driving by in their car, uh, there's a habit of just doing this as they go by even a church, a building. And uh, uh, the, the, it's very ritualistic in that matter. But I just want to say this. I'm thankful for a nice building, but there's nothing spiritual in and of this building by itself. You see, uh, there was a time when we used to call it the church house. Because the building would house the church. We are the church, right? And uh, as we assemble together, that's what the definition of, uh, uh, the baseline definition of church is, an assembly, a coming together. And so a building doesn't, is not an assembly, it's, uh, it's a building, it's just that. And, uh, and so, so he says, worship is not a place, but, there, but it says, they're, they're, those that are going to come to God, worship Him in spirit and in truth. And by the way, you need both sides of those things. If you too much about the spirit, uh, about uh, uh, the heart of it, if you would, about the emotion of it, it can become sensationalism. It can become uh, uh, all about feelings based. If, it, if it's too, too heavy on just truth, it can become rigid orthodoxy. And there's no, uh, there's no experience with that. There, there, there really does need to be a balance as we consider this. We must be guided by truth. But I just want to say this. It's OK to get a little emotional from time to time as well. As we're worshiping God, in fact, if God never moves your emotions, I have to wonder, is something actually going on in that heart of yours? Now, some people are just naturally more emotional than others, and so we cannot, can't get caught up in that. But, uh, but I just want to say, as, as I reflect on the goodness of God, as I think about even the song we sang tonight, uh, Glory, I'm Saved. I tell you what, when I think about what that means for me, I can't help but get excited. 
That's a very exciting thought to think that the God of all the universe, as holy as He is, would save a sorry wretch like me. I mean, what a wonderful thought. I could just spend some time thinking about that. But as we talk about just kind of an overview, what is worship? Uh, Worship, as it appears in this text, uh, um, in some, uh, uh, it shows up, it appears... uh, in, in, in what we look at here about eight times, just in the text we looked at here. And as it appears in this passage, it comes from a Greek word, uh, uh, proskineo, which means uh, literally to kiss towards. To kiss towards. Uh, uh, in other places, it carries the sense of bowing down or prostrating oneself, uh, to lower oneself. It's a position. Uh, many times uh, in the Bible, you'd even see maybe a servant coming before a master. And what do they do? They, they bow down in worship. And it was actually describing their position, not necessarily a spiritual activity. Does that make sense? Uh, think about Matthew 18 when uh, Jesus tells the story about the, the man that had the servant that owed him a great debt. And, uh, and he went to reckon with him. He meant to make the account right. And the man falls before him in worship. What was he doing? He was, he was actually a position begging for mercy is what it was. Uh, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And uh, the, the master was moved with compassion. But it's a, it's a lowering of oneself. It's, a, it's an exalting of the one who's being worshipped. And in proportion, I'm humbling myself in a position. The English word uh, worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon word uh, worth scribe. Or, or, I'm sorry, 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 worth, worth Skype. And it means, uh, uh, to give worth to, to ascribe worth to something. And so, so what, what does my worship do? My worship is something that I'm engaging in that is saying the one I am worshiping has value and the activity that I'm doing is placing the value from my heart to the one I'm worshiping. Alright? Which is why when we talk about worship, probably the most worshipful thing we do is connected to sacrifice. It's connected to giving. It's connecting to my time. It's connected to, uh, uh, you know, of course, the heart of it. But, but it's not just something that I would do flippantly. It's saying that the, the, the activity I'm engaging in, which is going to be chalked up as worship, it, it has to mean something. I'm putting value towards the one I'm worshiping. I'm ascribing worth. Which is why I've always said, singing a song does not, in my opinion, uh, show, really express my heart of how worthy I think God is. He is worthy. Now, the Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise uh, 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 with our lips, um, coming to Him with song and thanksgiving, and there are aspects of that. The Bible talks about uh, sacrifice of material, uh, uh, giving of our finances, if you would. Uh, there's, there's no doubt sacrifice of, of activity and serving others. We are to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I, I believe that reasonable service there is really the first step of truly worshiping God. Saying, God, the most valuable thing that I have, which is me... I'm sacrificing to you. I'm putting on the altar and I'm saying, God, you are worthy of it. So, so the heart of it, uh, the heart of worship is this. How worthy is God to you? By the way, is he worthy of our obedience? Is he worthy of our praise? Is he worthy of our thanksgiving? Boy, if you uh, go through the Bible and study this topic of thanksgiving, 
it is incredibly insightful. It is so often connected, uh, or lack of thanksgiving in particular, so often connected to rebellion, to a hard and cold heart towards God. I think about Romans chapter 1, where, where we talk about, it, it lays out this just degradation of a society as it goes more vile and vile and vile. And it starts off with, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. You know what, you know what the problem was? They didn't know how to worship. And they didn't worship. And before long, they began worshiping the creature more than the creator. And they began worshiping themselves. And they began to defile themselves with mankind. And, and it goes through this horrible list. And, and, uh, but it all comes back to, though it doesn't use the word, but it comes back to this concept of they didn't worship. They weren't thankful. They didn't glorify Him as God. Worship. And so it fell apart. It's amazing many times in Scripture when you see a list of many vile sins. In the, in the last times, perilous times shall come from men shall be lovers of their own self. And it starts listing all these things. And right in the middle of that, it says unthankful. And it goes on to all these other sins. Just right in the middle, unthankful. Now, we typically aren't going to chalk up unthankfulness with murderers. Unthankfulness with theft or other things. But God throws them right in there. And, uh, and, and really, what is, what is worship? It's saying, God, you're worthy. And I'm thankful. You've been good. And, and, and I have not been worthy of your goodness. You see, the problem is, uh, we see it very much in our society today, and that is we, uh, uh, we're entitled to everything. Everybody owes us something. And let me just say, that is a very dangerous way of thinking to let that creep into our spiritual lives. God, I deserve this. And, and, and though it, it's not, it's, you're not going to hear it said like this, but it really kind of is the mindset of, of American Christianity. Well, don't you know we're God's favorite? That's why every time there's even this, a hint of persecution that comes to America, everyone starts panicking, oh no, the end is near. Because we're so much better than the Christians in Iran who are suffering for the faith. We're so much better than the Christians in China who, who are underground. And we're not. But we need to be so careful we don't fall into that trap because we do have a great heritage and we have been a blessed people that we come to God realizing, Lord, I don't deserve anything, but you are worthy of everything. That's worship. We bless Him. One person defined worship as this. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. Submission of all of our nature to God. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open our heart to the love of God. To devote the will to the purpose of God. And all this gathered up in, an, in, uh, in uh, adoration is the greatest of human, experience, uh, excuse me, of human expression of which we are capable. To gather all that up in adoration of God is the greatest of human expressions of which we are capable. 
whole submission to God, our, our complete nature under His command, under His Lordship. By the way, I do not subscribe to, you may have heard the term, Lordship Salvation. In other words, to be saved, you must make God Lord of your life. But I will say this, for the believer, the ongoing lifelong endeavor is continual submission, making him Lord of your life. Hey, that doesn't save me, but that is the process on this road to sanctification that I'm on, where he is becoming Lord of my life. That's worship. The opposite of worship is, well, it's my life. These are my thoughts. I've got my own plans. I've got my own ideas. That's the opposite of worship. For in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's the the key there. You're either going to be a lover of God or going to be a lover of self, but you can't do both. You really can't. There's uh, There's only one throne on the heart of your life. And so often, we have the propensity, we have the... The, the, the natural inclination to climb onto that throne and we have to keep dethroning ourselves. Get down. <laughs> That's Jesus' seat. That's not your seat. Get down. So, a couple of thoughts. Worship is the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. This, uh, uh, the, 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 this teaches us that worship is... A, is um, it's, it's, true worship does not have to be kind of pumped and primed. True worship is an outpouring of a heart that is filled with a sense of God's goodness, His greatness, and His glory. You know why we don't worship? We don't dwell on God. You know why we don't worship? We don't spend time in His Word. Uh, that's where we meet Him. That's where we know of Him. Uh, let, me, let me just say this. I, I, I've challenged people with this. This is why the, the Scriptures are so important. Remove the Bible from the equation and try to prove God to me. Try to tell me everything you can about God in removing anything you've ever learned from Scripture. And you know, all you have is uh, what Romans 1 talks about. Well, we see nature, we see the evidence of His eternal power and Godhead, but that's about it. You don't know of redemption. You don't know of Jesus Christ. You don't know of God's holiness. You don't know of God's character and His nature. You, you, just, you, you see the evidence of a God. That's about it. That's what nature teaches us. When you get into the Bible, you get into His Word, everything that God wants us to know about Himself, by the way, He's given us. He's given us. So we get in there and we learn of Him and we, and we study and, we, and, and, and we, we, we find out who this God is. By the way, theology is important. It's amazing how we undermine things that are really important today. We have people, oh, you know, don't emphasize doctrine, don't emphasize theology, let's just all have an experience of God. How do you have an experience of something you're ignorant of? It doesn't make sense. So you have to get into the Word and find out who is this God, and the more you see Him on the pages of Scripture, the more you see His holiness, that He is the, the high and the lofty one, the more you see that, and the more you see yourself in that light, the more humble you become in realizing how unworthy you are to even enter into His presence, and yet He loves you and invites you there anyway. That's where worship flows from. Because apart from that, who do we think we are? <laughs> you see, it's a heart of gratitude. I don't belong here. But amazing to be here. Kind of reminds me of um, 
my wife and I, our family went on a cruise, uh, I guess uh, about a year and a half ago now. And um, um, just for fun, they were having an art auction. And we thought, let's go there. Let's go to the art auction. And who knows, maybe we'll see something we really like. And, and they, they let you kind of browse and you can like bid on the, you put a little sticker on the painting and you can bid on things. And they have guys that can answer questions about the artist and different things. And, and we just wanted to ballpark it. We saw this pretty, uh, pretty painting that kind of would fit our Alaskan theme. And, and, uh, and he said, uh, oh yeah, this one starts at 40,000. And we looked at each other. I said, "We made a wrong turn, turn somewhere here. Uh, we, we don't belong in here, you know." And uh, you know, but the the reality is, when I really consider who God is, so many times I think, "Boy, I don't belong here. How did I get here? How, what, what what am I even doing here with these blessings all around me? How do I, how, how 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 can I come in and be considered uh, a joint heir with Jesus Christ? This doesn't make sense. How did I get here?" You know, in the book of Job, one of Job's friends was given an analysis of God and he said how God is so lofty that he even charges the angels with folly. That even the heavens are unclean to him. I mean, what kind of such a holy God that even his own dwelling place is beneath him? Then when I consider... What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm but dirt. I'm uh, to come before him. You see, it's the overflow, uh, of that grateful heart, that overwhelming sense of divine favor, the fact that he loves me. Worship is also the outpouring of the soul at rest in the presence of God. In this uh, definition, there's emphasis on the spiritual condition of the worshiper. At rest in the presence of God. It reminds me of, uh, of, uh, of Psalm 23. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. When it talks about, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. What's interesting about that, uh, that phrase, about sheep, the only time sheep lie down is when all their needs are completely met. Including their need for safety. They've eaten... They've been watered, and they feel so at, 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 at a safe and secure position that they lie down. Folks, that's, that's our good shepherd. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us if we, if we understand. He's given us sustaining meat, and He's given us peace that passes understanding. When we're in that position, we understand uh, who He is, we're at rest with Him. Uh, folks, we can lie down. Yeah, yeah, this is such a foreign concept today because uh, our, our society around us is so overwhelmed with anxiety, with care, with, uh, you know, all kinds, of, uh, uh, all, all kinds of counseling and pills and all kinds of stuff having to go on because we're just restless. We're not at peace. We're not at ease. And yet that is the position that, that, uh, that is described in Scripture that we are to be with Him. Um, uh, Ephesians 1, verse number 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Did you know if you're saved tonight, you are accepted by God? You know, someone who the Bible tells us were at one point enemies of God? What an amazing thought. My sin made me at enmity with God, and yet because of the blood of Jesus Christ, He brought me near, and I am now accepted in the Beloved. Because of Christ, I am accepted to God. 
Amazing. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What a blessing. Worship is also the occupation of the heart. Not with its needs or even with its blessings, but with God Himself. This is taking it to a whole new level, right? I can thank God for this and this and this, but when I get to the point where really all those blessings, which are in fact blessings and we ought to thank God for, but when we actually can set those aside and say, you know what? None of those things even matter if I don't have God. So I'm most thankful for Him for His per- person, for His character, for who He is. It's, it's seeing God uh, in that position, that the fact that he, he accepts me, He wants me, and, and, you know, and it, it's He Himself. It, it's amazing. Sometimes in our temporal thinking, in our carnal thinking, when we consider heaven, we consider hell, I think sometimes we, we, we miss some of the points. Like, for example, some people are like, well, you know, heaven doesn't sound very exciting. We're all going to be floating around in robes and strumming harps. Okay, I don't know where we got those ideas, by the way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, and b- before you even get in, by the way, you got to meet Saint Peter at the pearly gate. I don't know why he's always uh, uh, there. He's the, the the bouncer apparently to get into heaven. But uh, but we have all these crazy ideas about heaven, right? And um, uh, and so so we think, you know, man, what are we going to be doing in heaven? And we and and, uh, and then you've heard people say, well, you know, the really the worst part about hell is the, is this: God's not there. The absence of God. You know, even in the worst of this world, we're still not in the absence of God. And I don't think that's something we can really fathom and wrap our head around. And so, so if, if the absolute worst aspect of hell is the fact that God is not there in the absence of, of God, then, then there must be something to this thing of, of God being my everything. And you know where we miss it in the Christian life? Why do Christians get discouraged? Why do Christians fall aside? We, we, we miss the whole central figure of our faith. We've turned our faith into a bunch of activity. We've turned it into, well, you should do this, and we should be here, and we should do that. And, and, and we've missed the very person of our faith. God Himself. When God made man, He intended to commune with them in the cool of the day. And have that, that face-to-face relationship where He would be their Father and their God. And Adam there was His Son, so to speak. And it was broken by sin, of course. And, uh, and ever since then, man's been trying to kind of uh, use activity and things to try, to try to overcome it and try to make it better. And, and yes, we are saved by grace through faith. Praise the Lord. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. He did it all. And, and yet, we miss the fact that He did it all and we turn things into a whole bunch of activity again. Well, if you're going to have a real relationship with God, you've got to make sure you do this and this and this and this and this. And we start putting these lists together and what happened? We get burned out because we missed Him. We missed Him. When we get to that place where God simply is enough, what a, what a place to rest. I think about the worship in heaven that we get some glimpses of. By the way, you know what really caused the fall all the way back in Genesis? It was an issue of worship. Adam and Eve chose to worship self. 
when they had opportunity to have God Himself right there with them. And really, the story of the Bible is getting worship back to where it's supposed to be. So what happens at the end of the book? Worship is restored. In Revelation 4, one of the letters to one of the churches, in verse number 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are, and were created. Why, why was everything created? This was, uh, it wasn't, I'm sorry, not, not the letter to the churches, but this was uh, the four and twenty elders there in heaven, and what they were doing, they were bowing down, falling down, and, and worshiping, saying, Thou art worthy, for what? To receive glory and honor and power. For what reason? He created all things for His pleasure. By the way, are you a created thing? I think we fall into that category. Revelation 5, verse number 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us by God, uh, by the blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Uh, and uh, has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, as such are in the sea and uh, uh, all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lord forever and ever. And folks, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I tell you what, when we get to heaven, we're going to have a worship service like you couldn't imagine. But one thing that I love the imagery, especially in the book of Revelation, is how often Jesus is described as the lamb as it had been slain. The only wounds you find in heaven are still the visible marks of a slain lamb. Every day as we look upon the lamb, we're reminded of our salvation, reminded of our redemption. And quite frankly, when we get to heaven, we're going to be reminded of the fact that we don't belong there. Why? How am I here? <laughs> How did I get in? And all it does is it draws us to worship Him yet again. Worship is the upspring of a heart that has known the Father as the giver, the Son as the Savior, and the Holy Spirit as the indwelling guest. While anyone in the, uh, while anyone in the world, even an unbeliever, can recognize that God exists, and that He is supreme and the Creator, not everyone has the capacity for worship. The lost man doesn't understand the reality of God. He can't fully appreciate the truth. He's not, he doesn't know what it is to receive redemption. So the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't understand it. Believers, on the other hand, enjoy the experience of living water. When Jesus spoke to that woman, he, the Bible says in John 4, verse number 13, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water which I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What an amazing picture 
that Holy Spirit of God welling up inside of us and springing out as, as, uh, as, as, as waters of life, everlasting life. And, and by the way, there's a beautiful picture with that too. If, if the water is springing up out of me, what, what, what is this kind of water doing? He talked about you'll never thirst, right? Well, if it's springing out of me, what's, that, what's it supposed to be accomplishing? supposed to be watering others. It's supposed to be watering others. And here's the amazing thing. If you're never going to thirst again, the idea is this. You never run out. You know, it's the one gift in life that you can take that gift and give it away as much as possible and you'll never lose any part of it yourself. You see, if you're given $100 and you start giving away parts of it, every time you give it away, you'll lose some of it. But not grace. Not the gift of God. What a wonderful truth. Living water. See, worship, worship is understanding. It's, it's, it's the uh, uprising of the heart that has, uh, that has known the Father as the giver, the Son as the Savior, the fact that I'm even saved, the one who, who took my place, and the Holy Spirit is that indwelling guest, that He's always with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. When we, we start to understand that, that uh, worship comes back to a person. It's a person. We can sing songs all day long. We can, uh, we can give. We can do all these things. And, and, and quite frankly, I don't know what's going on in your heart. It can become mechanical. But, but, but it's about a person. That's why you can have one person hear a song and they're moved to tears. And another person hears the same song and they're yawning. One person can, uh, can be touched by a passage of Scripture and, uh, and it, just, it just so moves them to, to, to a point of decision or a point of uh, response to God and another one's looking at their watch. Are we over? Is it over yet? What's happening? You're, 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 you're seeing you're, there's a value of the, the spiritual activity that we're doing because it's based on a person. That's the point of worship. So as we talk about worship, uh, uh, the, the, the person of worship is the most important thing. I believe it was A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Remember the man that buried his talent when the master went away? And he came back to collect and he said, well, I knew that thou art an austere man. A hard man. Where you reap, you have not sown, and so forth. And uh, so what did I do? I buried it over there. His view of God kept him from doing anything for God. I think that's where a lot of us are at today. Because we, 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 don't, we don't know Him. We are not, we're not dwelling in Him. If you're not abiding in Christ and, and, and cultivating that relationship. That, uh, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever looked at the invitations of Scripture. The Bible's full of invitations which is one reason why I'm not a Calvinist. Over and over again, come, come, come. So one of the greatest invitations for us as believers in the New Testament is this. Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. You understand, Christ has done everything that is needed for you and I to have a relationship with God. The ball is in our court. First and foremost, for salvation. He offered it, He made it possible, but you've got to respond. But secondly, if that, if that relationship is going to be vibrant, if that relationship is going to be anything, we must draw nigh to Him, and He responds in kind, drawing nigh to us. 
Well, how do we do it? He goes on, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We come to God His way. We, we see Him for who He is and realize He is a holy God. I should be holy as He is holy. He is, a, he is the lofty one. He's the one worthy of my worship. I should humble myself. I should cleanse my heart. I should come before Him uh, desiring the purity of God and saying, I want to have a relationship. I want to walk with that God. Be so careful that we don't turn the grace of God into lasciviousness like they did in the book of Jude. Well, you know, I'm saved and He accepts me as I am and, and praise the Lord, He accepts you as you are. Yes, come as you are. But He's going to change you. He's going to do a work in your heart. He's not going to just leave you there. And so what's happening? Each and every one of us are growing. But, but again, worship is coming to this place where we humble ourselves, lower ourselves and say, God, because you are worthy, I am presenting myself a living sacrifice. I want to worship you more than I want to worship my sin. I want to worship you more than I want to worship my pleasure and these things that pull me aside from God. I, need, I want to come to you and get rid of every weight, every stumbling block, anything that gets in the way so I have a clear path to walk with God. That's what, that's what all, that, the, the, uh, um, all these things are about. When we look at the Christian life, uh, <laughs> so many times you can be accused of legalism because we say, well, you know, God has some standards. Now listen, Jesus Christ fulfilled the holy standard to be saved. But then he says this, now come walk with me. We have it over and over again in, in 2 Corinthians, what is that, chapter 6, I believe, uh, what fellowship of light with darkness and uh, what concord of Christ with the Belial and the temple of God with idols and ye are the temple of God and, 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 and kind of goes through this whole thing. And so that, and then it says this, so come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and be a father unto you. And by the way, that's actually a quote of what God had said to Israel in the book of Isaiah. He extends it to the church and he says this, he says, he says, when you separate from the things that defile, when you come apart from the things that are not consistent with the character of God, he says this, watch how this relationship develops into this father-son thing. Hey, he is your God, he is your savior, but is he father and friend and that closer status, that closer relationship as Jesus would often refer to him as the Father. I love, I love taking the, the, the context and looking into the time of Christ as he would respond to God as that Father. It was such a foreign idea to the Jews, to the Pharisees, to refer to God as Father. He told them, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. They didn't pray like that. They prayed to Jehovah. They prayed to the great I Am. And, and, and yes, that, that is God. But the relational aspect was so foreign to him, to, to them. So the Bible says we've, we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Father. That's the relationship. And so... So when we consider that, we consider our worship with the Lord coming to this place of recognizing the character of God, recognizing who He is. And I'm responding in like fashion, in like manner. As we talk about the, where we derive the English word for worship to ascribe worth to. How worthy is God? When I consider how much you're willing to sacrifice, how worthy is God?
And by the way, when I say that, when I say how much, don't, don't necessarily make your, allow your mind to just run to money. Though money is a big indicator. Because you spend money on the things that are important to you. But you know what else? You spend time on the things that are important to you. You spend your energy on the things that are important to you. So I ask, how worthy is he to you? How is our worship tonight? 